about Sims. Silent. Okay, so I made you on Sims. So, you you know, did? I was being. Am I hot? Yeah, of course you're hot. <laughs> so I gave. You know, I was being sad girl this uh -huh. this week. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna make Corey on Sims and like give him like this beautiful yes. like fixer upper house. Like t like Joanna would be like so uh, pumped, like shiplap, oh beautiful craftsman, like beautiful modern kitchen, like the whole thing. I gave you a husband that looks almost exactly like uh, Oscar Isaac. Oh my god! I I gave you guys two kids and a and a golden retriever named Charlie. <sighs> so cute. <laughs> and I gave you this ginormous beautiful craftsman home Ooh. with this like bougie AF like gay party bag. <laughs> backyard with like hot tubs and bars and like lasers and shit yes. and we're neighbors and my kitties and your dog hang hangs out <laughs> it's Aww. very cute my dog likes your kitties he's yeah so he's so uh like acclimated to them yeah so that's kind of my weekend nice. <laughs> my weekend was making our us on sims <laughs> i worked and watched movies that's what i did Ooh, i did give us our dream bodies our sims oh, are like yes. are fucking shredded Man, i need my like I, I realized it was uh February twenty fifth today or yesterday and uh -huh. I was like or today and I was like fuck <laughs> <laughs> I was like uh summer body I thought was really gonna happen but it might not it can happen it can but it won't be till June yeah but but that's still like peak that's summer true. but yeah I have I have um what I have eight weeks or ten weeks so like it'll be really good and I'm already pretty good so we're good okay. We don't need to talk about our bodies. <laughs> <laughs> We've been drinking mimosas, so it's, we're talking about our bodies. It's twelve uh, thirty in, in on a Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, sorry guys. I have a nail appointment in three hours. Yes. Okay, so let's just get started. Yeah. Hi. Hi everybody. Welcome to Anyways How's Your Sex Life. We are your wonderful hosts. I'm Channa. I'm Corey. And welcome y'all to episode fifty nine. Yes. If things sound different, we're recording at my house because we have lives and we had to do other things. Yeah. And we yeah. have to go to work like right after we're done with this. And Corey yeah. literally lives less than five minutes away from our work. From work. So yeah. we're we're here. Where I live twenty minutes away. So sure. we're here. We're doing it. We're drinking champagne, which we originally didn't decide to do, but it was an impulse decision. It and happened. here we are. So let's just jump straight into your affogato fact. Oh, a uh, quick disclaimer. Um, if you hear like wishing sounds going on right, right by a window, so it might be a little airy. And yeah. we might be a teeny bit more echoey, but I don't think we are. I can semi hear it. Yeah, I can hear it a little bit. But we're fine. It's okay. We'll move on. Y'all we'll can back. deal. We'll, we'll be back in the fort next week. Yeah, which tomorrow. We're recording tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which means I have to figure out a cult that I'm going to talk about tomorrow. <laughs> yes. No, yeah, that's what I'll do tonight. <laughs> okay, so let's get to my faggot fact. So mine today is on James Baldwin. Um, he is an African-American author um, who was big during the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. Okay? Yes. Um, so I'm just going to jump right into him. There is so much I could have said about him. I could, like, you know when I talked about Tennessee Williams for, like, an hour or whatever? Uh -huh. <laughs> I could have easily done that, but I'm not doing that anymore. I'm trying to, like, streamline these a bit. Um, so I'm just going to give you some, like, life overview stuff. I'm going to go over some of his main works. And then I want to do like a personal note of why he is important to me. So the obvious thing is before I get into his life is he is a um, queer black author um, yes. that uh, came about in the 50s and the 60s. Um, he was also super known for his activism and his involvement in the civil rights movement and his like essays that he came out that were used a lot um, by mainstream culture, even at the time, um, about African-Americans uh, and racism in the 50s and the 60s because he just like would write it so eloquently and nice. so but yet so understandably that's a really shitty word to use but i'm like 
Here we halfway go. into my mimosa. <laughs> I'm already um, done with mine. <laughs> I'm a third of a I'm bottle. I'm halfway into my, like... What is this? A 24 ounce mason jar. Yeah. Of mimosa. Well, you took two thirds of the bottle. I just took a third. I <laughs> yeah. have a nail appointment. So I'm to halfway to. <laughs> through a bottle of champagne. I um, have a nail appointment and a slutty dress to buy. <laughs> so my my I am booked today. Like, I am I'm done. Back to back. You're literally your your day is so queer. What are you doing? <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> I woke up and I was like, time to do the podcast. <laughs> and then I got ready, drove over to Corey's. We sat and deep talked like an hour. Yeah. Then we're like, let's go drink. Bought yeah. mimosas. Came back. Well, we got iced coffee and it's currently 34 degrees outside <laughs> <laughs> which i made fun of Corey about the whole time but if i was getting coffee i would also get iced, iced. Coffee, yeah. um as i sipped on my very sad iced protein shake <laughs> and then oh. we got back continued to deep talk and then uh now we're doing the podcast after this drinking mimosas drinking mimosas after this i'm getting my nails done nails and then i'm buying a slutty dress and then i'm watching the bachelor and then you're going to watch the bachelor <laughs> while drinking rosé <laughs> it's a good day it's a good tuesday it's a good this is a, that's like that's probably the best tuesday anybody that's listening to this podcast had yeah y'all i made it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> except for maybe simone <laughs> that's true simone's currently on warm clothes that's she's true. having a much better day than all of us Okay, so he um he's he's mostly known for that. Sorry to go off on that fun tangent, but, <laughs> but it was fun. We're trying to talk about something serious. My bad. Let's just go to, get into his life. So James Arthur Baldwin was born August second in nineteen twenty four at the Harlan Hospital in New York City, uh, just after his mother left his biological father for drug abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, so his mother then shortly after married a Baptist preacher by the name of uh, David Baldwin. He's a Baptist preacher. Going back to what we were, I was talking oh, about yeah, him yeah. earlier, so I I missed that. Um. Uh, so she marries a Baptist preacher by the name of David Baldwin, um, and they have eight children together in addition to James Arthur Baldwin. In 1937, at the age of 13, he wrote his first article titled Harlem, Then and Now, and it was published in his school's magazine. And this is just like a good example of by this time he was in his early teens, he had already figured out that he wanted to be a writer. Mm. Um, when uh, Baldwin was 15 years old, he had a friend who knew this uh, famous painter named Beerford Delany. Here we go. Yeah. I, I butchered the shit out of that. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our podcast um, where we say every name wrong. He was another He was another uh, black artist. And so this guy becomes super important to him in his life because he marks this as my relationship and friendship and mentorship with this guy, with this black artist, showed me that uh, black people could be artists and mm-hmm. could be respected Ooh, as cool. artists. So just like open that world to him where like, I don't need to be stuck in this life that people are expecting me to be in because of the social climate of the days. I can do what I want and I can be an artist and I can be, you know, special and Ooh. stuff like that important. It's really cool. That's um, like, like so empowering. Quotes. Yeah. He also at this time uh, is like working in the in Greenwich Village and mm-hmm. like going there and like doing odd jobs throughout his teens. And he actually befriends the actor Marlon Brando. Oh, my God. Yeah, and they actually live together and they're roommates for a while. What the fuck? And they remain friends like throughout the rest of their lives. And That's stuff like awesome. That. Yeah. So most importantly, this is like sort of the start of his career here is when he's 24, around 1948, <laughs> I typed 1848. Well, <laughs> um, he gets really disillusioned by uh, being an African-American in the United States. And he's just sick of it and he hates it. There's this one instance where he tries to go to just this random diner in New York. And this waitress is like, we don't serve your kind here. Oh. And he gets so mad that he like throws the drink he had like against the wall and just shatters and he leaves. Um, Jeez. He, That's crazy. So he basically leaves and he goes and he moves to Paris. So basically for the rest of his life, he's mostly living in Paris from age 24 on. 
Yeah. So he becomes Goals. He, he's still an, <laughs> he's still considered an American author, but he's also considered a like foreign. I forget the actual term what it's called when you. Uh, what's a good what are words uh, not an immigrant maybe an immigrant author or something like that there's a there's a, a, a particular word that that's used for those kind of offers that have moved to different areas and so they have a worldview because they've lived somewhere else but now they're living in a different place i forget we don't I, need to go on sorry i just love that he like was like you know what fuck he's this. literally <laughs> like, like i'm about to read i'm about to read it so he goes literally like he's fuck like this. fuck this i can't handle this and there's also he, there's some really cool reasons and like personal reasons why he does it this is really cool and this is a quote um, about um, like him, and then there's actually a, and it quotes him. I'll get to it. He said he wanted to distance himself from American prejudice and see himself and his writing outside of an African-American context. Baldwin did not want to be read as, and this is quoted by him, merely a Negro or even merely a Negro writer. He also hoped to come to terms with his sexual ambivalence and escape the hopelessness that many young African-American men like himself succumb to in New York. Mm. He basically leaves, to sum that up, he leaves because he's like, I don't want to just be seen as a black author or as a black queer person, and I don't want to be, like, shoved into this part of society that people expect me to go in because of the sociopolitical climate. And he is strong. Yeah, and, so like, he's just like, so fuck much this, courage I'm to fucking Paris. Just to say, you know, like, fuck it, like, I'm out. <laughs> like, I'm going to yeah. leave and go somewhere. Like, yeah. that's... I'm not going to allow, like, the racism in America to, like, trap me in this place. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, so in 19, so um, I'm going to get to his works in a bit, but we're just fast forwarding through in his life. So in 1957, uh, Baldwin returned to the States and then begun his career in, in the so in social and political activism. So this is where he really becomes start to become really known. Um, I mean, he's already come out with a few books or like one or two books and, and he's become pretty known, but he literally released them first, I think, in um and uh, in England. He released them mm. in England because I think he published his first like book book um not an essay book is giovanni's room and the main character is gay and i think it falls in love with a bisexual man mm. um and so he like tried to release it in the states and like we're not doing this and he's like cool went to england they're like yeah we're okay with this and he releases it and it's super big so that america's like oh wait they're like <laughs> <laughs> we want to release it here too <laughs> um so he comes back um he aligns himself with the ideals of the congress of racial equality and the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, which are basically both um, like African American, like activist, like civil rights uh, organizations. Mm -hmm. Sorry, that was what I was looking for. So this gave him like super big opportunities to travel to the South. Growing up in Harlem, he has his experiences of racism in the North, and then going and going to the South and lecturing and getting like testimonies from people. He now gets like a universal or an American universal. Um, view of racism mm. and then starts to like really just pump out all the, these essays and, and books and stuff like that or he completes them into books and then uh sells them and just uh, starts to be known as a black activist writer or queer black activist writer what so up, um fam? by the spring of 1963 the mainstream media starts to use and recognize baldwin's works this is they began to recognize Baldwin's incisive analysis of white racism and his eloquent description of the Negro's pain and frustration. Oof. It's such a great that's such a great <laughs> sentence. I just had to say a quote that this right. is not my writing. Time even featured him on the cover of May 17th, 1963 issue. And they quote him. There is not another writer said or then time says there is not another writer who expresses with such poignancy and abrasiveness the dark realities of the racial fer uh, ferment in North and South. 
Um, let's go into his works really quick, and then I'll talk about like the personal note that he has with me. Basically, I'll go over five books really quickly that y'all should probably read, and I actually bought two of them while I was doing this because I've always needed to read James Baldwin, but I haven't gotten around to it, but I've just read some like essay stuff from him in college. Um, so there's, uh, his first one that he wrote is Go Tell It on the Mountain. Um, it's a semi-autobiographical story about um, uh, basically where he has a fictional character, but a lot of it happened to him. Um, the next one is Notes on a Native Son. So this one is a collection of es essays, which is about him capturing the complexities of the up, like the beginning of the civil rights movement. Then there's Giovanni's Room, which is a fiction, and it, it, it involves an American man living in prayer, uh, Paris who struggles with his sexuality and like societal pressures of masculinity as he's Hello. falling in love with another man. Um, that one is like always on like top 10 LGBTQ uh, books that you need to read in your life. Um, then another country is basically a bigger version of Giovanni's Room that explores a lot of different things. And I think there's actually even like the main character might not be gay. I don't really, I don't really remember. I, I haven't read that one. Um, but it's basically just like, hey, Giovanni's Room is a more focused version of another country. And another mm -hmm. country is the bigger, like, grandiose version of that. And I okay. think it's like 400 pages versus 200 pages. And then his last one is The Fire Next Time. It's also just more essay books that are really good. I actually bought that one. And that's the first book I'm going to read. Yeah, it's on your couch. Right yeah, now. it's on my couch right now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the personal note that I wanted to get to um, is when I was in college, we were reading uh, one of like quotes or an essay that he did on why he writes about homosexuality, why he writes about r racism and these intense topics. What he says is that he needed to write about them because that is what was on the forefront of his mind and mm -hmm. that that was his experience and what he needed to get out. So he talks about, I needed to write these things so that I could process them mm. and get through them so that I could develop and refine myself and develop into a more fuller being, a more truer being to then become an even better writer. Oof. So it, it's really, oh my gosh, like when we were That's... reading it, I was like in BYU surrounded by all these Mo's or Mormons, sorry. And I was like, I'm fucking gay. I love this. You're like, like shit, I'm gay. <laughs> the like English teacher like looks up and like winks at me. Yeah. She's like, bitch, I'm an English teacher. I know. I know you're fucking gay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is one of the quotes. There's another big quote that I wanted to read, but it's, it's an intense. So I'm just going to read this quote that sort of um, emanates what I just said. He said, one writes out of one thing only, one's own experience. Everything depends on how relentlessly one forces from this experience the last drop, sweet or bitter, it can possibly give. This is the only real concern of the artist, to recreate out of the disorder of life that order which is art. So yeah, so that that's James Baldwin. Yes. That just became an important, a part of an important, huge quote that just like made me realize like, oh, I need to write about my homosexuality. Ooh. I need to get that out. I need to process it. And it, I shouldn't feel embarrassed that I'm just a gay dude writing about gay things or stuff like that because I need to process it and get it through so that I can move on and refine myself and become a better writer. And also because it's my experience. So that's what I have quote-unquote jurisdiction over writing yeah you know? it's like the most authentic writing yeah it's the most authentic right part of me is to write about that because that's partially me yeah um so yeah so that was really cool um, there's a ton of other stuff we could talk about um james baldwin but we're not because like it, we don't have time and that's not this podcast this podcast is about supernatural and true crime yeah um go look this shit up there's also one of his last things he wrote was like a 30 page essay that was like a political socio-political essay and he never truly finished it but he wanted to turn it into a book, I believe. 
And so they actually made a documentary based upon the ideas in his essay called I Am Not Your Negro. And it is a like 2018 documentary that's crazy intense. The only criticism that I will say about it is that it basically ignores that he is um, homosexual. That sounds um, like a that big... Is a big part. I mean, he is super <laughs> known. It's very, like, if you want to just go watch a good article that talks about who James Baldwin is and then talks about, like, the, the like, about racism in America, then go watch this documentary. But be warned, like, it ignores slash erases the fact that he's homosexual. Which is, you know, a fucking big part Which of is a, a yeah, big part significant and a considerable part. problem. Yeah. But there's other stuff, but you go watch it because it's really good on the other stuff. I'm done. But be warned. Yeah, be warned. Well, you know, going now into true crime, <laughs> so very different than what you just talked about. Um, I'm going to talk about yeah. the number of murders by state in 2018. Yeah. So last episode, I talked about the most used murder weapons in 2018, posted by FBI.gov. So they just posted like the 2018 stats in September of 2019. Mm-hmm. So the 2019 stats will be then posted, you know, September 2020 and so on. So when the 2019 stats are out, I will announce them. But yeah. for today, it's 2018 stats. So I'm going to go through every single state and how many murders happened in that state in the year of 2018, starting okay. at the lowest. Okay. Are you ready? Uh-huh. Okay. I'm going to say lowest is Alaska. No, Alabama. Fuck. Uh, two murders in Alabama in 2018. Next is Vermont, 10. Then Wyoming, 12. South Dakota, 13. North Dakota, 16. Rhode Island, also 16. Twins. Twinsies. New Hampshire, 21. Shout out to Corey's family. Mm-hmm. Maine, 23. Idaho, 32. Also shout out to Corey's family. <laughs> <laughs> but like new hampshire is so fucking small <laughs> um sorry i'm like and rhode island <laughs> i can put on my glasses oh yeah no yeah i was like having trouble reading i read like all this shit now yeah good old hawaii 33 montana 34 iowa's 43 nebraska's also 43 twins alaska 47 47 damn but alaska is like one of the most like dangerous states and to that's live just in. vampires but yeah, it's just vampires We've all mainly. Seen Forty days a night. But Alaska is one of the most dangerous states to live in, just based off of the amount, like the population of the state, because the population is pretty low, and they still have forty-seven murders. So it's like and just not like super how safe. much there's no sun. Yeah, and I the, well, there's actually like uh, I talked about a spooky scoop forever ago about that and how oh, like yeah. weather and like the sun affects crime. Yeah. Um. So yeah, next is Delaware, forty-eight, West Virginia, fifty-seven, Utah. 59 murders. 59. Oregon, 81. Connecticut, 83. Minnesota, 104. Kansas, 110. Massachusetts, 136. New Mexico, 137. Oh, we skipped 69. Oh, we did skip 69. Maybe next year. Maybe 2019 will be the year <laughs> of 69 murders. <laughs> Maybe, Corey, that could be – you could be a serial killer – and you could do 69 yeah, murders. Yeah, I'll make sure every state is just 69. You, that's a lot of murders. What's 69 I would also times... be preventing quite a bit of murders. That's... Hmm. Okay, what's 69 times 50? I don't know. Because that is how many murders you'd have to do in a year to make 69 the murder number for every single... Well, there's some states that are going to go over 69. We're already over We're already 69. way over 69. Yeah, so I would I would come out with a, <laughs> like, bottom line of 
I say positive murders <laughs> or negative murders. The FBI like, guy's like, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so, He's okay. like, maybe this kid got onto something. So PSA, <laughs> if you're thinking of killing someone, don't. Because Corey's going to try to... me first. Yeah, Corey's going to try to even out the numbers. Because we needed 69s across, across the board. Across the board. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're about to kill someone, just, like, don't. Or, like, you know, pick a state. But, like, sorry, New Hampshire and Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> <We're> up in... <laughs> you need to get those numbers higher. Those sorry, numbers. Alabama. You went from 2 to 69. It was a really crazy year. <laughs> Watch, like, the 2019 statistic, like, say 69, and we're, like... What the The fuck? FBI guy calls you in. He's like, I'm like, I'm sorry. It's not me. It's not me. I swear. <laughs> okay. Mississippi, 142. Um, Wisconsin, 178. Nevada, 201. Oklahoma, 202. Colorado, 207. Whoa. Arkansas. Arkansas. Arkansas, uh, 21. Or, no, 218. <laughs> okay. 21. <laughs> 21. <laughs> we have to go back down. <laughs> Washington 232, Kentucky 237, Damn. New Jersey 286, Arizona 339. So you, these numbers are starting to jump up. Yeah. Indiana 371. Jesus. South Carolina 386, Virginia 391, Maryland 470. I don't Whoa. even know that many people lived in Maryland. North Carolina 479, Tennessee, shout out to my mom, 496. Louisiana, 521. New York is only 546. The state? Yeah. Yeah. You would, I would expect it to be a lot higher because there's so many people that live in New York. True. Ohio is 546. Michigan, 550. Missouri, 555. 555. Georgia, 568. Pennsylvania, 787. We just skipped 666, too. These fucking bastards. God damn it. Illinois. And uh, 420. 864. You ready for this jump? Yeah. Texas. You ready for the last two? Is this Texas? The next one's Texas. Yeah. 1,301 murders in Texas. Oh Are you ready for the final one? Yeah. California. California. 1,739 murders Holy in 2018. Holy shit. That jumps 600. Murders. It's important to note, this is specific homicide murders. This is not like hit and run murder or like hit and, un- hit and run kills. This yeah. is straight up murder. 1,739 murders occurred in California. Crazy. Damn. So, in total in 2018, do you want to know how many people were murdered in the U.S.? Yes. Okay, demon. (laughs) 14,123 people were murdered in the United States in 2018. Whoa. 14,000. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of day. That's about 38 murders a day. 38.7 murders. So someone's like almost murdered. So like 38, 39 murders a day. Oh my gosh. That's more people than I know. So like 14 people have been murdered by... By right now. By Ooh. right now today. By the end of this podcast, like add another like, I don't know, what, five? Yeah. Ooh. Ew. That's crazy. I'm disturbed. That is crazy. So anyways, that's my spooky scoop for you. Nice. So I hope y'all heard your Murder. state in there. Now you're sufficiently scared. Let's get into my sp- supernatural segment. Yes. <laughs> I always want to say spooky scoop. Okay. So mine today is on the Turnbull Canyon in uh, L.A., basically. Just basically L.A. area. Okay. Not 30 minutes east of downtown L.A. lies a four-mile loop hiking trail covered in sycamore trees. Yes. While this trail is probably frequented by hot, shirtless gay men, yes. dogs, and Instagram models, it has a more sinister side to it, mm. one that has a long history of urban legends. Wow. It sounds like our podcast. Yep. <laughs> so, 
this story that y'all that we're about to go into has UFOs, yes, gates to hell, yes, child murders, yes, cults, yes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Club. Like, oh another my club. God. Another, another club. club. Another, another club. club. Um, so this story caught my eye because it like all of that shit was showing up on all these articles that were talking about it. Um, some of those we don't get to because I couldn't really find them after they were promised to me, and that's okay. What a tease. We, like, UFOs, I never really got, like, any big stories about that. Hmm. And the gates to hell, like, we'll get to in a second. But here's the deal. Like, your segment has every has to do with like, every single aspect like, yeah, of the podcast. Yeah, it's true crime, supernatural, aliens, like, everything. everything. This this place, the, tur- the uh, Turnbull Canyon... Um, is like literally 30 minutes east of downtown LA. It's would, right by Hacienda Heights. Would aliens be under the category of supernatural or true crime or under its own category? Supernatural. Yeah. But but sometimes like people disappear and like weird shit happens. They blame it on aliens. Yeah, but I would still say it's a supernatural like element, yeah. element to it. But yeah, if it was if it was like but yeah, there would be a true crime story, and in the true crime story, They'd be like, but you'd be like, oh, but people think that it was aliens. Ooh. So yeah, it could it could fall under both easily. Hmm. Yeah. I wouldn't argue that together it we should find one like a batshit wild alien. Oh, there thing are. For our oh, yeah. Like the first big one that happened. I forget what decade. I think it was like the 30s or the 40s or the 50s. Um, yeah, there's like this. These people, these like dudes are coming home from mining or logging or something like that. It's crazy. We should it's, do it's like, like the a, first big. We should do a crazy one for our uh, combined episode. That'd be a fun yeah, one. It's totally crazy, different. Yeah, too. it's a crazy one. We should. I'll look that one up because yeah. that one's a crazy one. Okay, so. Um, let's get into the early history and then we'll get into like, um, all of these are basically, I'm just going from early history, like to present day. Okay. Okay. And there's like little legends that are sprinkled throughout. Even before the settlers came over from Europe, Turnbull Canyon was regarded as a sacred land by the native Americans. It was said to be an area known as, uh, I'm not even going to try and say it, <laughs> a term that means, uh, who to, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm just going to stop. Spell it. <laughs> Uh, H-U-T-U-K-N-G-N-A. Hutukajana? Yeah, something like that. So it's a term that means the night or the dark place or mm, the vagina. place of the devil. I don't know how to my vagina. Of things, but all of those. Yeah, the dark yeah. place. Same, same. And <laughs> the land of the devil or whatever. That is my pussy. Jordan um, can, can vouch for me. He can vouch. It's the land of your pussy. Yeah, every or time. the land of the devil. Yeah, every time he takes up my panties, like Satan's there like. The crosses on your walls flip upside down. Yeah, exactly. I like so. Panties come off. Yeah, I start levitating. I do a backbend while we have sex. You're like Sabrina. Your eyes go white. Yes. And then like ten minutes later, you're like super powerless just because of story and plot. Just because season three was so bad. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so um, it was in this area also um, that it was used as a battlegrounds for many Native American wars. These wars, according to Friar Geronimo Boscana. Geronimo? <laughs> who, who is an actual person. Re-say that name. Friar Geronimo Boscana. Okay, this reminds me if someone got a fake ID and they're like, what do you want your name to be? Geronimo Instead of McLovin, Buscana. it's that person. Geronimo Boscana. Mine would be Frida Belafonte. Mine would be <laughs> and Corey like, Martin. <laughs> what? Mine George be- Martin? George Martin. <laughs> it was like, George, I'm like, fuck you. Like, fuck you, bitch. <laughs> Um, so this guy, Friar Geronimo Buscana, uh, he is pretty much one of the only ones who has a first, who wrote and like kept a first, um, firsthand account of the mission era, like war, uh, uh mission era in the new world. Okay. So he's like one of the like forefront historians, I guess you could say, or you mm. could like pseudo historian, um, Looked him up. He's a real dude. So at least this story has some truth to it. The name's not fake. Um, yeah, the, the name's not fake. Even though it does up. sound fake, <laughs> yeah. it is not fake. It is not fake at all. 
So basically, these were super bloody battles. People were raped and killed. Rarely were they taken prisoner, or at least the legends say so. I don't need to get super into it because it gets into like Native American exploitation and stuff. So we don't need to get crazy into it. But basically, these were uh, battlegrounds for Native Americans. Um, also, they were um, some sometimes they were just burial grounds um, because uh, when the Spaniards came in. Um, they would either kill Native Americans, oh. drive them away, or they would force them into or quote unquote do conversions of them to Catholicism. Oh my God! And these conversions all over um, during this period um, involved jailings, beatings, and enslavement oh. of, of the people. Don't need to go into it. There's just a lot of dark energy that surrounds that, and come you can obviously see that comes from that. Okay, so moving on, um, two these two uh, white dudes come into the picture. One is named uh, John Rowland. Um, for whom Roland Heights is named, uh, which is just east of Hacienda, Hacienda Heights. Oh. So basically it's like Hacienda Heights, and then like a little bit uh, south of Hacienda Heights is um, this place is the whole Turnbull Canyon, which is like a different it's a different name for the park. We'll get to it in a second. And then on the east of this park is uh, uh, Roland Heights, which is named after him. Um, so but we're not going to focus on him. We're going to focus on a guy named William Workman. So William Workman, um, uh, a land grant was issued to Roland and Workman in 1845 after William Workman helped Governor Pico or Pio Pico carry out a coup of sorts um, and unseated like a preceding governor. Does Pio Pico ring a bell, Chana? It, P- it won't, but it should. Pio Pico? Pio Pico. I don't know. As soon as you're going to say okay. it, I'm going to be like, eh. So I literally wrote, holy fuck balls. Pico gave him more grants over the years and guess what one of these grants is the alcatraz island <gasps> and he i talked about him and he his name was named julia or uh, instead of william workwin it was julia workwin or julia or sorry where is where is that word or julian instead of william workman i said julian workman who knows internet we can mess up it's fine um, so he, I mentioned him earlier in episode 17 when I talked about Alcatraz Island. Flashback because, fucking Friday. Yeah, he got, uh, he got Alcatraz Island in one of these grants and is, uh, the first recorded dude to have a legal ownership over the island. Um, for some reason I call him Julian. I don't remember why. And I don't know if William is better or not. I think William is, is correct. Maybe I'm like mistyped or something like mm-hmm. that, but the J is not by the W. So like. <laughs> those are good episodes because i remember um, that the johnny Torrio or whatever <laughs> yeah uh-huh um so yeah uh i left out and when i talked originally about this dude is that after he gets these land grants and he got the land grant of alcatraz i think i just move on to the civil war or whatever um or and, whatever but basically after the civil war or during the civil war he loses these land grants um and ev- eventually he basically uh kills himself oof. Uh, because of all of this oof okay? oof oof Okay, so flash forward from 1850s to the 1930s. So we're going to the the Great Depression cult. Mm. Ooh, that's what I called it. Okay. So this cult in the early part of the Depression would adopt small children from overcrowded orphanages. Because Oof. what would happen often is um, people, families weren't able to afford mu- or food um, for their kids. So they would just give them to orphanages so that the state slash uh, community slash government would take care of their kids children so they'd have food yikes um so at the beginning and during this like you know crazy time of kids just being sent everywhere they would just adopt kids from the orphanage and and accept them into their cult the children were kept in an old barn allegedly on the old william workman property so i mean this is like you know 80 years post uh, william workman um then according to the legend a, a child was taken to the top of the tallest hill in the canyon oh, and God. then slaughtered <gasps> 
Holy shit. Yeah, like an occult sacrifice. Holy shit. As time progressed, adoptions uh, served as less reliable source, and members of the cult began picking up runaway children. Oh, my God. Soon, this was not enough, and they had to resort to kidnapping. <gasps> yeah. So after the kidnappings began, the cult uh, seemed to, like, fade away um, into the backgrounds, but it did not cease to exist, the Ooh. legend says. Uh, witness accounts of seeing bonfires or cloaked figures are told and retold by many who uh, go to Turnbull Canyon at night. And uh, basically over the decades, every decade, you have a story of people seeing it. So you want to hear one of those? Yes. And also we should go. Oh, I know. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it's literally like it'd take 30 minutes. Like from, from Carl's house, it would probably be like an hour drive because of traffic. Can you say his name yet? Yep, we can. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, I asked him. Okay, so we're just jumping right into this like firsthand account. It says a large group of men and women, no children, wearing robes, black as midnight, and in enacting strange rituals each night. They were numerous and organized, and their business was horrifying. One witness, carefully sneaking up on the camp, was able to take a close look at one of their rites and return to tell the tale. A young boy, 12 years old at, at most, was strapped to a cross in the center of a circle of people. Damn. Like already. Jesus. Yeah, we're intense already. <laughs> yeah, that escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah. He's 12. He's strapped to a cross. We're okay. fine, everybody. We're Entranced fine. Entranced and paralyzed with feel, the Puente Hills resident watched as... This is the person watching. It's a Puente Hills resident. Watched as the robed figures danced around and around, chanting in a language he could not recognize, but sent a chill down his spine. After a time, the chanting suddenly increased in intensity. The cross was hoisted upright. The child struggled, but unable to cry out through the rough cloth that had been stuffed into his mouth. Pulling the cross back down and then hoisted it up the other way, the townsman finally truly realized what was happening. An upside-down cross. Ooh. But he could do nothing. Ooh. I'm so excited. Spooky! <laughs> the cultist struck the boy again and again, blood flying out from every direction. Eventually, their fury subsided, and so did the blows. Peering close, the Puente Hills resident breathed a sigh of relief to see the boy was still breathing. But what happened next, he could never forget. This might be a warning. I actually didn't read this account because I wanted to, like, you know, be like, ooh, but <laughs> I don't know how crazy this But is. here we go. Um, uh, oh, it doesn't. <laughs> that They're like, period. End. Oh, my God. Almost literally, literally. They took him away, period. Oh, my God. They, re- they simply removed the boy, stuffing him into a large sack and tossing it roughly into a wagon. The man returned to town to, th- to tell the tale. This is the Puente Hills resident. But he was not believed until some months wa- later when a rash of kidnappings and disappearances struck the area. Ooh. By the time the town- townspeople gathered their weapons and rode out to Turnbull Canyon to put a stop to the horror, the cult had scattered. They were gone. Ooh. As for the boy... He was never seen again. Ooh, Ooh. cool. <laughs> okay, so let's move on. Um, we're all still in the ni- the late the latter half of the 1930s. Legend also says that during the 1930s there used to be a hospital in the canyon, and according to of a course. legendary a le- I, I po- legendary nurse named Esther, because people kept saying this woman named Esther kept saying, and it's just total <laughs> hearsay. Like, oh my god, Esther said. So this. there's a legendary nurse named Esther who said, unfortunately, they lived in a time where electro electroshock therapies, lobotomies, and other barbaric stuff that happens. You know, just go watch American Horror Story season two. Mm, good season. Um, there, the basically that stuff was going on, or at least the legend says. 
So Esther stated that the hospital was destroyed in a fire at the beginning of the 1940s. And according to her, she and only one doctor were survivors. All the patients and the majority of the staff perished. Ghosts. 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 So they say that at night that you can hear the cries and the shrieks <gasps> of the patients echo through the canyon. Trail. Ew, that's freaky. Yeah, people also report running into ghostly patients walking in hospital grounds or, or gowns, sorry, or straight jackets along the trail. Oh my God. Vanishing as you approach them. Fuck that. Isn't that crazy? If I saw some fucker in a straight jacket approach me in like a dark canyon, I'd be like, like, get the fuck off. (laughs) Yeah. Like like if when you're 40 feet away, I'd be like, I am pulling out the gun that I do not have and aiming it at you. Yeah. I am manifesting a gun right now. So I can fucking. God damn it. I wish I was a true Texan. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) So, um. Uh, so this is uh, so sorry. This is I think it's called Founders Memorial Park, is Ooh. where this trail is located, uh, which is referred to as Turnbull Canyon Trail. Ooh. Okay. Other part of the 1940s and 30s is that there is uh, Founders Memorial Park was once Witter Cemetery because uh, actually Turnbull Canyon is technically in W H I T T I E R Whittier. Whittier? Yeah. Whittier, Whittier, the the city. So Ooh. like. Whittier is a city in California, which is basically L.A. Yeah, I had girls camp in, in like, a little campground in Whittier, and there was a bear scare. Okay, that's where you literally are. You were literally in this place. Holy shit! Yeah, I'm not joking. There was You've a bear. You literally camped in this place where all these legends Twice! For, so I went Fuck. for two different girls camp years, so I, I've stayed two weeks in total at this place. Oh my god, this is you literally have been in this like little park area. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's like almost as big as Griffith Park and like the Hollywood Hills, like That's the nuts. wild part of Hollywood Hills you could say, quote unquote. Okay, so um so the Founders Memorial Park was once Whittier Cemetery, <gasps> now Olive Cemetery and the Broadway Cemetery. Gasp. So this park was create uh, created over two former adjacent cemeteries, which was again Mount Olive which opened in the 1880s, and then the Broadway, which opened shortly after the 1900s. So, based on the couple accounts that I got, or like the few, over 1,200 to to 2,300 bodies were buried here. What? So, over (laughs) 1,200 bodies to 2,300 bodies were buried in these two-slash-three cemeteries, but eventually the grounds were stopped, like, weren't maintained, and are also frequently vandalized, and then they were mostly abandoned. So in 1958, another account said 1968, I don't know. City officials declared the land, I think 58 is the more correct. Um, The city officials declared the land a public nuisance, saying that the cemeteries, quote, contained vermin and unsafe attractions for children. Like ghosts. End quote. Efforts were made to notify families to gain permission to move the bodies, but those that weren't moved, um, basically the headstones were removed, and then... uh, like any of the things that could officially be located and or like like first they had to say how many bodies are they where are they located get official like okay from the family to then relocate them so they so basically what i'm trying to say is there are some bodies that were not relocated that are basically in uh that that still remain and are in this park okay you know that's pretty disrespectful that they would remove the headstones maybe it's 1958 still fuck those people agreed so Bitches. this, all of what I'm talking about is possibly hearsay, what I've been saying before. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the, the facts about uh, the dudes, like being the found, who are the founders of this area, that's true. But this is true. There's actually in the Founders Memorial Park, there is a memorial 
a, huh. a little statue that ha- is a memorial to the dead bodies that are buried in this park. They're like, hey, just so you know, there's probably some dead bodies. Like, there's a little picture of this online like, Ooh, that you can go look at. We should totally so go. There, so if you go to Founders Memorial Park in Witter, uh, California, like basically 30 minutes outside of downtown L.A., you can like, you basically are walking over dead bodies. Whoa. Yeah. I Maybe I slept on top of a dead body. Yeah, you probably slept. Chana slept on top of a dead body. I slept on a body? <laughs> Check. S- Bucket list. Check. Done. <laughs> I slept on a body. Thanks, Grandma, for picking the girls' camp spot. <laughs> People claim that's why fog always falls upon this park frequently, and that many animals are also found dead on its grounds. Just randomly, they'll just see a lot of dead animals. Spooky. Spooks, spooks, spooks. <laughs> okay, so moving on. To more just uh, random crazy shit. We're getting into more true true crime area now than like a hey. supernatural area. So uh, the, the 1950s plane crash. In 1952, there was a plane crash at Turnbull Canyon. A two-engine prop plane from American Airlines fell from the sky and into the side of the tallest hill of the canyon, killing all on board. Ooh. What was troubling is that there was no identifying numbers on the craft, nor was American Airlines missing any planes from its feet fleet. In addition to the aircraft not having any identity. Oh, God. Drunk. In addition to the aircraft not having any identification, none of the 29 victims on board had any identification either. Not even the what pilots. What the fuck? Sadly, of the 29 aboard, 21 were assumed to be children. The most disturbing part of it is that the old signs of the cult appeared on the wreckage dates later. Ooh. And reported newspaper clippings. Um, there's only, other than one reported newspaper clipping, none can find the actual reports of the crash. Some say that the spirits conjured by the cult still crave blood of the innocent. So it's like remnants of the spirits from the cult from the 1930s um, sort of summoned this aircraft to crash, killing those children, mostly children. So other uh, reports that I complete this just seems completely made up because other it. reports that I just told Shannon when she came this morning is one was like, it's flight 421, and like, blah, 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 <laughs> six, blah. 666 six, 420, bitch. <laughs> yeah, literally. So who knows? And it, you know, they said that it was supposed to arrive at the Long Beach airport what at 3.30 a.m., but airport. it never arrived at 3.30 a.m. And at 3.33 a.m. was the last time that the air traffic control had contact with the pilots. Ooh. Ooh. What a um, good airport. <laughs> but all reports said that there were 29 people aboard and that most were children. So, Why? What the fuck go. type of plane is that? I don't know. <laughs> what it's like? What weird ass like orphan plane? Like what? Like what type of Annie shit is going down up there? <laughs> She's like tomorrow, um, tomorrow. <laughs> boom. I miss you tomorrow. The the cultists are like yeah. It's like only twerking on the a on the day away. Uh 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 uh. Tomorrow <laughs> I'll curse you. I'll Have you seen you any of those films? Tomorrow. What Annie? Yeah. Yeah. You have? I've never really seen any of them. Really? It's a classic. Yeah, I've just never seen... I've just, You know, I've seen clips. It's a classic. You should. Everyone should see Annie at least once. That's true. There's a cute-ass dog, a little red-head orphan girl. Oh, there's come a on. dog? Everything you want. Yeah. Oh, there's a dog? Interesting. <laughs> the sun will come out tomorrow. That's true. I mean, I know that song and stuff, but I've just never seen the movie. Okay, so now we're jumping from the 50s to the 90s. On Whoa. May 11th, 1999, two members of a San Gabriel Valley gang went on a crime spree that Ooh. left three people dead. Crime the carnage started with a, a botched carjacking and robbery at a La Puente uh, car wash, and then escalated with the shooting, with the deaths of two teens by being shot. Then it also ended with the strangulation of a, a gang member from a rival faction. The final victim was then beaten and had his eyes gouged oh out my God. before oh my God. he was thrown down the side of Turnbull Canyon. Oh my Road. God. 
But then that's legit. None of that's made up. That's all real. Fuck. Yeah. So now we're getting into even more murders that have circled around this area in the recent past, like, 20 years. So so in 2002, a 17-year-old girl, Gloria Linda uh, Gaxiola, uh, was shot in the head on Turnbull Canyon Jesus. Road before being dragged by a car four miles <gasps> to the Hacienda Heights. <gasps> Her body was found at the crossroad of Hacienda Boulevard and Colima Road. It is speculated that, unbeknownst to her killers, her foot had been stuck on a seatbelt. For five years, the case made little to no progress until the arrival of a new witness who helped them ultimately led to the rest of three. Oh, sorry. Until the arrival of a new witness who helped ultimately lead officials to the arrest of three suspects. Jeez. Um, these dudes, I won't say their names because fuck them. That's nuts. Yeah. Fucking so, nuts. So um, they were all arrested in 2008, so just a year later, for the murder, for her murder, and sentenced to 85 years in prison. Isn't that awesome? Uh, the one, like, one of them was sentenced to 85, one was sentenced to 80, and then one was sentenced to 55. 55. What type like, of shit is that? Bitch. He might get out at, like, 70. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Fuck you, stupid yeah. asshole. Um, so the following year, on Tuesday, August 4th of 2009... Uh, Christine Martinez was stabbed and slashed with ne- uh, with a needle and left to die. Jesus. Vincent Mendoza, age 21, and Edward uh, Mer- Mraz, age 27, and Jose Alaya, uh, age 27, were booked on suspicion of attempted murder and kidnapping. According to a Whittier, Whittier, is it Whittier? Yeah, Whittier. Thank you. A Whittier Daily News article, Martinez, quote, since sustained a four-inch laceration across her laceration, Sorry, drunk or cry. <laughs> when I slur, I just feel my brain being like, <laughs> it's like twerk, 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 twerk. Yeah. Like literally, just like Nicki Minaj's ass is just bouncing yeah. up and down in my brain. Right now. <laughs> same, 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 same. Um, sustained a four-inch laceration across her neck and neck, and numerous abrasions and head contusions. Um, on March third uh, of two thousand eleven, an unidentified woman's body was found hidden in one of Turnbull Canyon's ravines. Parts of her body were missing, according to the Whittier, Whittier Daily News. She was found uh, quote ten feet deep in an embankment, Jesus with her Christ. arm, her left arm missing, and her body <gasps> heavily decomposed. And it... her identity has yet to be discovered. Oh my God! So basically, just to sum this all up, is that there's been a ton of murders, bloodshed, cults, uh, demon worshiping, ghosts. Uh, another club yeah another, another club. club another club surrounding this turnbull canyon who knows what's real who knows what's not it's real. a bad place though who fucking cares it's a bad place it's fun I, and that's not fun but it's interesting we should go and spooky as fuck and i went camping and there we should fucking go. apparently I've, I've lived there for two weeks <laughs> yeah <laughs> apparently i slept on top of a dead body for two weeks yeah so so sorry i thought this would have, have like a cool encompassing storyline going on behind it but it just turned out to be like urban legend after urban legend after urban legend of shit going on which is still fun sometimes and i don't usually do that so that's why i was like okay i'll stick with this fun little just tidbit of interesting facts i liked it Corey. About turnbull canyon i thought it was um, fun there's also turnbull canyon is named after some dude with the last name turnbull um what happened is he actually took over the land that um what's his name the guy who also got alcatraz pico woodford no pico is the governor that gave woodford um, oh julian or william yeah william woodford yeah, yeah. um it, when a workman when he killed himself the dude with the last name Turnbull, I forget his first name, he got the land. And then actually he like try, uh, the Quakers wanted the lands to move there to mm. like do one of their Quaker st- settlements. But he was trying, he knew they wanted it really bad and needed it. So he tried to be like, no, 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 just to get more and more money. When he finally got the money he wanted to, 
and got it sold Ooh. like within weeks he died he was like he was i, I what forget the fuck? I, I forget exactly what happened but basically he got drunk because he was celebrating then got arrested and then got beat up in jail while he was arrested overnight posted bail and then the next day died from some like sort of aneurysm because he got beat up. What the fuck? Isn't that crazy? Yeah, like it's just some crazy ass <laughs> shit. <laughs> like that sounds like it'd the be Quakers my fucking like, luck. Yeah, bitch, don't mess with us. Yeah, that shit. That like one hundred percent sounds like it happened to me. Quaker God's like, fuck you, bitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Quaker Oatman from the Quaker Oatmeal. Oats. Yeah, <laughs> that was so bad. <laughs> the Quaker Oatman. He's like, fuck you, bitch. Yeah. yeah. So basically, that happened. So don't fuck with the Quakers, and yeah. maybe don't sleep overnight at term. Canyon. Except unless you do Mormon girls camp, then that's, that's okay. That's true because then Mormon God will protect you. The Mormon God protected me. Well, <laughs> although there was a bear scare, so oh shit. The second year, the second year that we went, no, it was the first year that we went. Um, there was like a bunch of wild bears and shit, Ooh. and um, the bear was seen like on some campsites like eating or in some campsites like eating food and stuff and so there was like a huge giant like bear alarm they're like bear scare because you, you slept in t- tents yeah this was before bougie girls camp which happened the next year in, cabins. in cabins yeah, yeah. so we we're like sleeping in tents and like it's it was divided between wards instead of levels okay that's not important but anyway so my entire <laughs> ward people are like what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> look it was <laughs> it's cult but anyways in our little camp because there was multiple little tents inside like each individual campground yeah. in my little tent it was me um kim kim yeah um my old friend at the time like clarissa some bitch named lauren and like someone Goddamn else lauren. and my grandma and uh my grandma had like a pink little swiss army knife and she the entire night like during the bear scare <sighs> she just stood up with her pink little swiss army knife and she was totally prepared to fight oh, off a no, bear for so us cute. so she just sat up like holding her knife like her little teeny teeny little like, pink swiss army oh. knife like you know it's like two inches oh. just like so little like ready to fight off a bear for us that's cute and then the next morning when we woke up there was bear poop all outside of our tent so bear did circle us that is scary that was actually pretty scary yeah we would have been okay because my grandma (laughs) yeah oh my god yeah but she was totally prepared to cut a little hole push us out and fight off a bear (gasps) she has the whole game plan thanks gram gram thanks gram gram so that was my experience yeah so that's turnbull canyon i like it i was a good it was a good one it's It's a little interesting yeah i wish it had like a the story to it i just had to follow like chronological history but that's pretty much it but it was fun though it's like crazy that so much like batshit wild history well, in yeah, one location and just, like there's ufo sightings and shit going on there's like oh i i mentioned the the gate to hell basically the only story i could actually find about the gate to hell is somebody's account like boring ass account whoever the fuck you are of being like, yeah, so like we went out into like the dirt roads and we like walked down the dirt roads and like the sun was shining on the dirt roads and then like we walked down the dirt road and <laughs> there was no Hell's Gate. Did I mention and I'm the like, dirt Thank road? Thank you, you fucking cunt. <laughs> I just wasted twenty minutes of my life They're reading like, this story. Also, there was a dirt road, <laughs> oh, a dirt and road. it was difficult. Yeah. <laughs> Let me make sure you can still hear me. Okay, you can. So yeah, that's basically it. There's no Hell's Gate. I don't know what the legend is about that because I tried to find it, but there was only like every but like. Uh, five to six articles i think i read five or six articles mentioned a hell's gate but they never talked about it but that one article like that was the story they're like we looked for it on the dirt road but never found it it didn't exist yeah you're like yeah one time i went to taco bell and i got a burrito (laughs) period (laughs) that's my story (laughs) but yeah so uh turnbull canyon let's go let's i'll I'll take you back yeah that'd be fun to go yeah so today i am finishing up my peter tobin series oh my god so is this it is less 
crazy as the last episode. It's it's a good like, time. As in, like, less sad. I mean, it's always sad. Mine, mine's always sad. <laughs> Unless I'm talking about, like... As a, I, like, sip the last teeny bit. So you're like, please, God, champagne, get my mouth. <laughs> like, unless I do, like, a weird, interesting disappearance, like, mine's gonna it's be... It's gonna be sad. Mine's gonna be a, a but sad But last, last week's was, like, particularly sinister. Like, I don't that's like true, because you just learned how evil yeah. he was. So yeah. that's, like, a, a, it's a good note that you just made. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode yet... Um, go listen to it because oh, everything be I say right now, you're going to be lost and it's like major spoilers. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> turns out none of that happened. Yeah. <laughs> so go listen to last week's episode and then also listen to the weeks before that episode, or you can listen to it after this episode, whatever. True. But all three episodes are like kind of go, like but go at hand least in hand. Listen to last week's episode. But last week's episode is crucial to understand anything I'm about to talk about. Yeah. Cause, so yeah, stop, listen, Okay, Stop hi, everybody. Look and listen. Here we are. So Peter Tobin's a bad guy. Like I just mentioned. You just listened to the last episode, so you understand how fucking awful he is. He's yeah. a goddamn monster. Um, so we left off with Peter getting out of jail in two thousand four. Now it is important to note, because he went to jail for raping underage girls, um, he did have to register as a sex offender. Thank God. So, anyways, he got out of jail. Peter moved back to Glasgow, um, and it wasn't long until he found another girl to manipulate. Um, this girl. Wait, how long was he in jail? From what, nineteen ninety like seven to two thousand four, something like that. For raping somebody who's in for jail raping for two just teenage girls. Years. Yeah, yeah. Oh my so he got out, registered a sex offender, moved to Glasgow, you know, back to Glasgow because you know he's moving back and forth to all these different areas all around Scotland and yeah. like, England and all that. Moved back to Glasgow, moved into an apartment, and met his next-door neighbor, Debbie. Oh, Debbie was, like, a prime target for him to manipulate again. Just I want like a cosmic brownie now. Oh, my God. Aren't those vegan? I think those might be They might be accidentally vegan. vegan, yeah. Here, let's look this up. Google. I don't... They either are... No, you know what's accidentally vegan? You know those, like, pies... Moon pies? No, those like uh, those like fruit pies that you can get from the grocery store. Oh, yes, yes. Those are accidentally yeah, vegan. Yeah, those are accidentally vegan. Are yeah. cosmic brownies... Are cosmic brownies vegan? There's like no. Okay, there yeah. There are multiple ways to make cosmic brownies vegan. <laughs> There's multiple recipes. Okay, because I remembered we were like somewhere we were talking about it, and I oh, couldn't I remember if it was the apple brownies. pie or cosmic yeah. brownies. Remember when you got two cosmic brownies for your lunch, and, and you're you like, were like, "Thank you, God." <laughs> yeah. So Debbie, <laughs> not the cosmic brownie. Um, Debbie would always go to Peter's apartment, you know, for a drink, for dinner. And they started developing this whole relationship. Um, police heard about his new relationship with this girl. And so they rolled up to Debbie and they were like, yo, just to let you know, this guy's a registered sex offender and just raped two underage girls like good. less than 10 years ago. So you should probably like not be not with, hang him out with him because he's not a good guy. <laughs> So Debbie rolled up to Peter, and she was like, yo, what the fuck? They just told me you raped little girls. And he was like, no, that's completely untrue. I'm actually seeking legal help to um, to make sure these, like, horrible, nasty rumors stop about me. But don't worry. Like, it's not true at all. Like, I think they have me confused with somebody else. I'm a great guy. And as I mentioned in the last episode, like, he was really charismatic true. and manipulative. So, like, him twisting words and manipulating women, like, this is what he was good at. So it, it wasn't that hard for him to change the whole story. So Debbie believed him. Oh, my God. So their relationship, it just continued to grow and grow and grow. And then he moved to a different apartment and totally ghosted her. So that was the end of okay, Debbie. Okay, good. Okay, thank God. Bye, Debbie. But then another lady caught Peter's <laughs> eyes. Her name was Cheryl McLaughlin. 
or McLaughlin. Sorry, I was just thinking about Kyle McLaughlin because it was yeah. Twin Peaks Day yesterday. But oh, cute. Anyways, Peter and Cheryl, they lived in the same neighborhood. And, you know, they would, like, walk around their neighborhood, go get groceries, go for a walk, shit like that. And they always pass each other. They saw each other. It's like a small, cute little Scottish neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, every time they would pass each other, you know, they would smile Say hi, like, how are you? Just the polite things that you do when you recognize she someone. She flashes her pussy, he flashes her dick. You know, just dick. the polite things that you do when you pass someone yeah. in the street. Um, and then one day, Peter decided to just stop and actually ask Cheryl on a date because they've oh already God. smiled at each other These so many times. These are not queers. These are not homosexuals. <laughs> Cheryl agreed. Um, they went on their drink. Or they, their date. They went on their drink. They went on their date. <laughs> they drank. They danced. <laughs> The whole thing. They're like, you want to drink together? Okay, that's a date. And, and you want to drink together? You want to drink together with candles? Oh my god, have you seen that meme where it's like, hey, do you want to share rent together and have sex every day? <laughs> <laughs> that's like the equivalent. That's like relationship. That's hilarious. You want to share rent and have sex every day? <laughs> that's amazing. I love it. So they drank, they danced, they had an amazing time. The two started dating like pretty seriously after that, and they continued dating for a few months, um, and then. One day, Cheryl went over to Peter's apartment. They were just hanging out, and she decided to get up to leave. Oh, God. He was not pumped on her leaving. So this should kind of ring – like, this should take you back to yes. the last episode. He wanted her to stay the night. She said, no, I don't want to. She stood up, and he walked and just blocked yeah, the door. Yeah, she's like, my parents literally will not let me stay past 10. That yeah, except those girls, like, older, so it's yeah, not a 17-year-old yeah. this time. But it's, like, very similar to his first wife that I talked about last episode. Yeah. Cheryl got up. Peter stopped her in front of the door, put his hand over the door and said, you're not going anywhere. She was like, oh, yo, shit. what the fuck are you talking about? I want to leave. And he pulled out a knife what? and he held he it against her throat. He just had a fucking throat. knife? Yeah. And, you know, this is what he did to the teenage girls. He just pulled out a knife, put it against one of the teenage throats. I people do walk throats. around with knives. Every, well, everything is calculated. Like, everything he's doing is something That's that true. he's already done before. That's so true. it's not like this is an impulsive, like, I'm going to whip out a knife. It's like, this is a but tried also, and true. Like, straight dudes just walk around with knives in their pockets. That's true. Jordan yeah. has a knife. What um, the fuck? I got him a Why? knife. What for is like it with straight guys and just having a knife in your pocket? I don't know. You never know if you need a knife. But it's not like a fucking crazy ass knife. It's like a camping While like an hour from now, just be licking someone's asshole. <laughs> yeah, like, why do you walk around with a knife? Is he like, what? Like, fuck a stranger's asshole? <laughs> that's like, that's like, like putting my tongue in somebody's asshole that I've met like an hour ago is like less strange than. Like, a knife but you know, in somehow it is. I agree. <laughs> Totally so he held the the knife against her throat, and he told her she's not going anywhere, and to close her die, close her eyes, and lay the fuck down. The exact thing that he did to the teenage girls. Oh my god, that's when you just like run and be like, shoot me. Like I'm not. Ugh. So, Cheryl, she's a badass. Oh she, fuck yeah, Cheryl. She used to be in the military. Oh. She's like a fucking cunt. veteran fighter, motherfucking boss ass bitch, yes. and she grew up with eight brothers, being the only girl. Yeah. So Cheryl, she knew how to fucking fight. So she looked at him, looked at that knife, and she fucking threw him down to the floor. Yes. Grabbed the knife. Yeah. During this whole struggle, it did like slice her arm like all the way like across. Worth it was a pretty it. like Battle gnarly scars. cut. Um, but like they struggled, she kicked his fucking ass, threw him down on the floor, and sprinted towards the door, opened it, 
ran outside and as she's running outside peter got up <gasps> grabbed the knife because she dropped the knife because you know it's an al horror movie yeah yeah yeah. and started running after her with the knife knowing that she was about away he had to quickly think of how to manipulate her so he pretended to have a heart attack exactly what he did to get his third wife to come over to take daniel yeah. when he was raping the teenage girls oh so he pretended to start having a heart attack hoping that it would stop her in her tracks to turn around and it did what so it she just struggled with this dude he pretended to have a heart attack she stopped turned around walked him back inside sat him down on the couch made sure he was okay grabbed the knife from his hand and like put it back in the kitchen did this whole thing he was like manipulating the shit out of her can we stop what like how are you not already, like, fucking sprinting it down? Like, I wouldn't even realize that he had a fake heart attack. I know! Like, I would just be like... <laughs> Bye! <laughs> but it's okay. Because as soon as she, like, got him a little bit distracted, she, again, just walked out the door and then sprinted and just okay, booked it as hard God. as she could. Okay, um, She went to the hospital because, you know, she had that pretty gnarly cut across her arm. The police rolled up. She was like, this is from my psycho boyfriend, Peter. This is his address. Can he go... Oh, by the way, he's a registered sex offender. Oh, by the way, he's raped people. Oh, by the way, we're just going to ignore this. Yeah, so then the police roll up to a part, his apartment, and just like many, many, many times before, Peter already ran. Uh, what What decade are we in? Uh, This is 2000... What? Uh, this, yeah, this is like 2004. So we should, or 2005. Should, we should be able to follow him, but we still can't? Sorry, I'm like so invested. I'm like interrupting a lot. No, it's okay. This is good. Sorry, I just summarized, like, a half page. I'm trying to figure out, like, where the fuck. So, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. This is <clears throat> 2000, like, end of five. Okay. Months later, Peter ended up in Anderson, where he worked as a handyman at a church under the name <gasps> Pat McLaughlin. Again? Ties back. As you know, if you listened to the last episode, this is where he met, raped, and killed Angelica Clock. Oh, yeah, that's her. Oh, no, that's two episodes ago. This was last episode, oh, God, the beginning. Okay. I don't remember so this ties us back to the very beginning of the last episode. Yeah. So now we are back to where we started. Angelica was murdered. Peter was arrested, found guilty for her murder, given yeah. a life sentence. Sentence um, In his house, when they, like, looked through everything after he was arrested, you know, they found dozens of women's jewelry. Um, so police started speculating from that, that he probably killed, like, dozens, if not, like, more than 30 women. Um, from all of this, like I mentioned last episode, Operation Anagram was born, and here we are. Yeah. So, and, like, an Operation Anagram, like, their whole purpose was to figure out Peter's life from the beginning to up until when he was arrested and try to figure out, like, all the gaps, who he killed, where he was, what his name was, everything like that. Because he was known to move around a lot. He was known to change his name. Yeah. So they had to build a whole task force to try to figure out where the fuck he was and when to try to see if they could connect any murders to him. So who did Peter Tobin kill? So we know the very first, like, official conviction of a serious crime was in 1993, which is the rape of the two girls. Got it. Um. But he was 47 when he committed this crime. Um, like the argument that I said last episode of him being 60 when he committed his first murder, 47 is pretty old to start violently yeah, raping people. That's why we have the Bible killer. And Yeah, so that's where John the sorry, Bible's... Sorry, I'm just invested, so I'm interrupting. I will stop. No, it's I c- apologize for you, and I apologize. No, it, this is fun. I'm really digging that you're so invested <laughs> in this. And this like, ties... Fuck. Like, all three of these episodes all tie into each other. So yeah, I'm glad yeah, that yeah. you're, like, seeing these dots, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, 47 is pretty old for someone to start 
suddenly like randomly raping people and like the 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 rapes that he did those teenage girls were so calculated like he knew exactly what to do pulled out the knife like stopped them from going made them feel comfortable drugged them raped them tried to kill them like every single move like it's like he did it before and 47 it's old like it was not a crime of passion it wasn't like a random spur of the moment rape like he obviously knew what he was doing like yeah the girls kind of showed up on his door but like he knew what he was going to do like every single step of the rape it's like he's, he did it before. Yeah. I'm like getting so into this. I'm like yeah, skipping right. half of my notes. <laughs> do, do, do. So the police, they decided to look, you know, continue looking deeper into all of this. And they continued gathering info and they're just trying to figure out like what Peter did during his whole life. And that is why Operation An- Anagram was born. Now, there were like gaps in the timeline that I've gone through over the past episode and a half. For example, like between relationships, between being in and out of jail, etc. Like there were gaps in time where they like think they know his general location and his name. So like using all that info, if you like right now, if I was able to draw like a giant timeline of Peter, you would be able to see gaps between some of the events that I talked. Where we knew he or where he existed. Yeah. Yeah, Or where like significant crimes or like marriages or like milestones or events happened. There are gaps. So they started looking at these gaps and they started looking at the area he was living in. Um, and they were just trying to piece together like any disappearances or murders that kind of goes along or fits perfectly into that gap. And that brings us to a very famous disappearance. Her name was Vicki Hamilton. So Vicki was a 15 year old girl who came from a big loving family. Vicki had four siblings. Um, She was closest to her oldest sister. Her older sister actually lived on her own in a town about an hour away from her family. Um, Vicki, frequently took like the hour bus ride to visit her sister um, pretty much whenever she could. It was just what she always did. It was was normal. So on February 10th, 1991, it just seemed like a regular day. Um, Vicky was just going to go visit her sister. Now, halfway through the journey in Bathgate, which is an area I mentioned last episode, this is all in Scotland. Okay. um, There is a bus change. So here, like at this bus change, you can get snacks and water, go to the bathroom, etc. while just waiting for the next bus to pick you up. So Vicky, on this day, she got her favorite snack, fish and chips, and she sat at the bus stop. <laughs> that's not a snack. That's an entire fucking meal. She got her girl. favorite meal, fish and chips, <laughs> sat at the bus stop, and was last seen just munching on her snack, her chip, her fucking <laughs> meal. She's munching on her, her snack of Full deep fried <laughs> segments of fish and actual chips. <laughs> she's munching on her snack meal dinner <laughs> while waiting for the bus. No one ever saw her alive again. God damn it. Why do I make jokes? Now, if you remember <laughs> during the last episode, Peter was living in Bathgate at this time. He moved to Bathgate in 1988 with his first wife, Kathy, and their son, Daniel. And then in 1990, that's when Kathy got up the courage and, like, ran away with Daniel. Ooh, yeah. And then uh, Peter wasn't stoked on that, so we went and, like, fought for custody of Daniel, then, like, got and full custody. And then cus- got it yeah, because... Yeah, got because he's a fucking man. Got, because pre-2015, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> exactly. So he got custody of a son in 1991, like, right around the time that Vicky went went God went it. missing. And then he ended up moving from Bathgate to Kent, England, and then finally Hampshire, or Hampshire, England, Right after Vicky went missing. Okay. So he was in that spot right where she was at the time when she disappeared. Yeah, so he pol- did it. He fucking did so it. So police, you know, they when she disappeared, they didn't know that Peter Tobin existed yet. This is two years before the rapes happened to the teenage girls. So 
you know, Peter Tobin did not exist. So they just searched for her like they would any other teenager. They considered her a runaway. Oh, no. Just like they do everybody else. They found her purse at another bus station about 20 miles away. So they just assumed that just kind of confirmed the runaway theory. Um, and they just assumed that she's probably in London, just partying with friends. Because I guess at that time, a lot she? of – 15. At that time, a lot of Scottish teens run away to London. That's kind of like what okay. they do. Okay, okay. So the police did test the purse for DNA, but <clears throat> this was 1991. Just a note right there. Um, nothing came of it. Like there was like some unfamiliar DNA that didn't match hers on it, but it's 1991. Technology wasn't that great yet, and there wasn't a match like in the system yet no, or anything I was like born. that. Corey was born, <laughs> like two, like two months after this, or one month when after was this. It? This February? was February. Uh, yeah, you're born. Your mom was super pregnant this time. Cute. Now Vicky's family, like they knew she would never ever run away like they called fucking bullshit on this they're like one she literally does not have any money on her own so like what is her plan she gets to london two she had a great relationship with all of them this wasn't like the type of case where it's like a sad girl runs away from family yeah it's like she had a really happy and healthy and loving relationship with her whole family like she her running away is just so unrealistic just with the the relationships that she has their family and friends and her school and her activities everything like that and, you know, three, she's not the party type. Like, she's never expressed any interest to rebel or anything like that. And then four, finally, she did not fucking run away. They, She is their family member. They know her. If she ran away, like, that is way more surprising than her getting murdered. <laughs> like, five fish and chips is not a snack. Five fish and chips is a fucking dinner. <laughs> so police continued looking for her, but with no evidence, witness, etc., the case went cold until 2007. So when police realized that Peter Tobin lived in the area that she disappeared in at Uh the same time she disappeared, they obviously immediately suspected him. So even though it was 16 years since her disappearance and they figured, you know, we're probably not going to find any actual like clues or evidence in the home that he lived at in at that time. They still decided to go search that home just in case. Okay. And somehow. What the fuck? They found something. Hidden in the kitchen wall was a large kitchen knife. And attached to the knife, like on the knife, looked like a dried up piece of human skin. So they ran that knife in the skin, you know, for DNA. They tested shit. it and they matched for Vicki Hamilton. Holy shit. So I mentioned that Fuck her purse was dude. tested in 1991, but DNA was not great that time. And like mm-hmm. there was no match. So they reran it because now they had this kitchen knife dna where peter tobin lived so they reran the dna for the purse and uh it came up for a match for a male that was remarkably similar to peter so much so that they were like you know what peter has a son daniel daniel is three years old at the time and uh daniel since peter had custody of daniel for yeah. you know because for a failed system maybe daniel touched the purse when he was a little kid so they brought uh-huh. in daniel they tested daniel's dna and it was a perfect match for the purse so now they had the weapon. They had a purse. They oh figured that Peter just gave Daniel the purse to play with yeah. while he was, you know, violently raping and murdering a girl in the other room. Jeez. But they still didn't have a body. So they were like, okay, maybe we need to get a confession. Because right now, like, this is pretty, like, circumstantial evidence. Like, there's nothing, like, it's pretty obvious he killed him. But, like, in the court of law, like, yes. y- like yeah. that you can't prove it without a doubt that this guy really did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So, you know, since Peter was already sitting in jail for Angelica's murder, it was pretty easy to get him in for an interview. Um, they brought him in and they showed him the knife and he immediately recognized it. He said that he actually used to own a knife very similar to that, but he hasn't seen it in years. And they were like, really, that's interesting because this is this is the knife that was used to kill. That's me. Um, yes, I have t- stuck my tongue in that asshole. <laughs> I recognize that asshole. <laughs> yeah. So that but knife form. And they were like, oh, that's interesting because this is the knife that was actually used to kill um, Vicky. And, his, and, like, as soon as they said that, his, like, entire demeanor changed. And he, like, Fuck. flipped. And he was like, oh, you know what? I never owned a knife like that. I just saw it in a store before. Or my friend had that knife and this and that. And he acted like he never got the knife. And he denied, denied, and denied. So much so where he actually denied ever even hearing of Vicky's disappearance or ever even seeing her. So, and it was just, like, a total, like, they were just yeah, stuck. Yeah. Like, there was nothing <laughs> the investigators to do. So, without a confession... Or a body. Again, they knew like they could not charge him. They knew they weren't going to get the confession. So they were like, you know what? We need to try to find the body. Put a pin in that. Okay. So meanwhile, Operation Anagram found another disappearance that kind of filled in a gap of Peter. How many people did this guy kill? So I'll get to that Fuck later. Him. So while Peter lived in Kent in like Hampshire, England, this is where like this person kind of fits in. So this was August 5th, 1991. So six months after Vicky disappeared. 18-year-old Dinah McNico. Um, she was last seen hitchhiking home from music festival. Yeah. Um, when she didn't return home that night, her friends and family like immediately knew something was wrong. Um, even though this was like the early 90s, so, like cell phones didn't exist yet, their family had like a pretty intense like use a payphone or like a friend's home phone to communicate with each other. So there's okay. always like yeah. a line of communication between the whole family. So suddenly, like, the last thing they heard from Dinah was like, hey, I'm about to go hitchhike to come home. I'll be home in two hours. And then all communication stopped. So they were like, okay. Obvious problem there. Like, there's obviously a problem. Um, They called the police. But the only clue the police really had to go off of was that her debit card was still being used after she disappeared. So this is, like, a sad note. Um, Dinah's mom actually passed away, like, a few months prior and left her about, like, two grand in her account. Um, Dinah was saving that money and was, like, saving all of her paychecks and things like that just to do, like, a really big, like, travel vacation, pretty much, to, like, experience the world. Um, So the fact that her card was still being used after she disappeared was even a bigger red flag to her family. Because they're like, even if Dinah, like, ran away for a bit, like, she was saving that money for something really special. Like, this – and she – and, like, the credit card is being used in Kent. <laughs> like, it's not, like it, – she didn't go to, like, Spain or Rome. Like, she just went to, like, a fucking town in England. Like – They're like, no. This is a red flag. Yeah. So police – they went to Kent. They, like, searched around. They couldn't find her with no evidence, no clues, no witness, anything like that. The case went cold until 2007. So knowing that Peter was living in the area that she disappeared in and her card was being used in the area that she disappeared in and he lived in, police obviously knew they had something. So they went to the home that Peter was living in at that time. They started interviewing neighbors and anybody they can find on the street yeah. that might have known Peter. And um, that's when they started talking to David Martin. David Martin was Peter's like immediate neighbor to his right. George Martin's cousin. Yeah. George Martin's cousin. And <laughs> David was actually really good friends with Peter. He said Peter was like an ideal neighbor. Oh my like God. they would both be like talk over the fence, you know, like in home improvement, yes. <laughs> like exactly that scene. Oh my God. <laughs> so like, you know, they would like talk about whatever. Is his name Hal? David. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, Isn't and Hal. I, I don't remember. Or you never see his face. Yeah, you never see his face. Oh, but yeah. I imagine it's like this. 
So it's like two straight <laughs> white Except guys. Except for his eyes are like. <laughs> <laughs> two straight white guys separated by a fence, just neighbors, always talking, being great friends, you know, sharing gardening tools, oh helping each other with projects, talking about, you know, whatever straights talk about in their backyards. Yeah. It was the whole thing. Like Peter was an ideal neighbor. He was nice. They did. It was like always just normal conversations um whatever dads talk about in the backyard that's yeah, like what they talked about really do. um he said every conversation that he had was always normal except one so, let me check He's like yeah so i have this girl tied up in my garage You're yeah like, what the fuck isn't that so weird <laughs> that this girl's tied up in my backyard so one day david was just out in his backyard talking to peter total normal you know backyard talk shit like look at my hose yeah. you know homo type of stuff <laughs> when uh <laughs> Two teenage girls, like, walked by. They're able to see them from their backyards. <gasps> Peter stopped, like, mid-conversation, and he looked at the girls, and he just talked about how fucking hot they were. David immediately felt uncomfortable because these are two children that are walking by pretty yeah. much. And he, like, tried to laugh it off by saying, like, Peter, like, you're old enough to be their dad. Like, like ha, 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 ha. Like, those moments yeah. when things are so awkward he had to make a joke. Yeah. And, like, Peter immediately snapped out of this like weird trance like state and he was like oh haha you're right like i was just kidding around Whoa. and like immediately did like a 180 and turned like back to regular peter so police asked david fuck you peter if uh you know peter did any home renovation or gardening or anything at all like made any changes to the backyard or the house while he lived there um david laughed and he said peter never really did anything like that except one time and back in 1991 Back when these two girls went missing, oh my God. a few months after Peter moved in, David noticed that Peter was digging this like giant hole in the backyard. So David like walked out and he joked Note with Peter. To any of my future neighbors, <laughs> do not live next to me if you want to dig a giant hole in your backyard because my ass will be all over that hole. Yeah. <laughs> so David and my dick. David walked out and he joked with Peter, saying like, "Are you trying to dig yourself to Australia? Ha <laughs> oh ha! You know whatever God. dads joke about." Um, Peter laughed and said no, that he was actually digging, like, a giant sand pit for his son Daniel. It's, like, a big surprise. His birthday's coming up. Uh, so David was like, okay, like, I accept that. And the two continued to talk and kind of, like, joke through the day. Everything seemed normal. Like, the hole did seem, like, pretty fucking giant, like, really deep, really wide. But David just thought to himself, like, well, what do I know about sand pits? Like, I don't know anything. So, like, who the fuck am I to think this is a big hole? Because maybe for, like, safety, the hole does have to be pretty wide and deep. And it was about like four feet. Oh my god! Or like I'd seven be feet. All over that. Seven feet all... by four feet. You're like, this I'd be is the rear police. Windowing the shit out of that hole. <laughs> oh my god. Um. So a couple days went by, and uh, David walked out of his backyard, and he noticed that the hole was covered, was filled in with soil, not sand. Oh god. Peter walked out, and uh, David was like, "Hey, Peter. Like, I thought you were building like this whole sand pit for your kid. Like, what happened?" And Peter said. Oh, yeah, well, you know, I was building the sand pit, but then social services came by because they do checks to make sure your house is okay, okay. like, during custody stuff. And um, she actually said it was too dangerous to have That's a... That's a crafty lie. I know. That's to have a pretty a, crafty lie. It's good yeah. to have a, a sand pit this big, so to fill it back up with soil, so I did. So, yeah, it's like it was a waste of my day. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. And uh, David totally accepted it because I would. Yeah, <laughs> That's a I fucking... would almost accept that. Yeah. yeah. So police heard the story, and they were like, okay, we're obviously... Digging. getting a warrant <laughs> yeah we're obviously <laughs> excavating this entire fucking backyard now um so they did so they started digging and sure enough they found human remains 
Vicky Hamilton's oh, remains. Jeez. Vicky, who went missing Vicky, over Vicky, 500 <laughs> miles away. What? In Scotland, right before he moved. Oh, my God. Her remains were found in his backyard. Her body showed signs of a violent murder. In fact, her body is cut in half. Each half of her body was in a different trash bag, oh tied tight, 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 tight. Um, investigators from her body, um, you know, they think that Peter abducted Vicky from the bus station in Bathgate, so killed sad. her that same exact How day. How old was she? Do you know? 15. She was 15. Okay. Killed her that exact same day. He then cut up her body, put her into trash bags, sealed the bags for the smell, threw her body parts inside the back of his van, and then drove over 500 miles to his new home in Kent with a body in his back, in his trunk. He tied the bag so fucking tight that her body barely decomposed 16 years later. Whoa. What the actual fuck? That's crazy. Because her body was so well preserved, it was easy to figure out exactly how she died and what happened. Basically, she was drugged exactly like those two teenage girls were drugged. She was violently the raped. The two in, that were just looking for their friend. For yeah, the day. that yeah, were drugged then the two door. years later after Vicky was already killed. Yes. Um, then Vicky was raped. And then strangled. Um, there was actually, this is real sad. Yeah. There was actually um, broken ribs and bruising on her chest from Peter's knees digging into her chest as he was crouching over her and strangling Ooh. her so aggressively. So, police found one body, Vicki Hamilton, 500 miles from where she, you know, was kidnapped from or abducted. So, they obviously knew they had to excavate the rest of the backyard. So, they did. And it took two whole days. In the very last corner of the backyard, the last piece of, like, earth to flip over, they found the body of Dinah McNico. Oh, my God. Dinah's body was in one piece, but it was also wrapped very similar to Vicky, but just wasn't sealed as, like, tightly. Mm -hmm. So because of that, the cause of death was really hard to really distinguish because it was 16 years since she died. Yeah. Um, But it was determined that she was drugged by something similar that was given to Vicky and the two teenage girls. So it's only, you know, you can just assume that she was drugged and then raped and then strangled and, like, potentially stabbed. Yeah. Just like all of his other victims so far. So now they have two bodies bringing his total kill count to three. His official, like, kill count. His official, like, convicted, yeah. Yeah. And now it's three confirmed kills over a span of time. So now he's... uh, A serial killer. Yeah. He is actually a serial killer. Yeah. So Peter was already serving um, life in jail for Angelica's murder, so it was really easy to charge him with two more murders. Um, first was Vicky's trial. This started in November 2008, lasted only one month. Um, on December 2nd, 2008, um, he was found guilty, obviously, and another life sentence was added to his current life sentence. Now, when sentencing Tobin to life imprisonment, the judge said, in quotes, you stand convicted of the truly evil abduction and murder of a vulnerable young girl in 1991 and thereafter of attempting to defeat the ends of justice in various ways over an extended period. Yet again, you've shown yourself to be unfit to live in a decent society, and it's hard for me to convey the loathing and revulsion that ordinary people will feel to what you've done. Damn. (laughs) Ouch. Next was Dinah's trial. Translation, get fucked, bitch. Yeah, <laughs> fuck <to> you. <laughs> Next was Dinah's trial. And this kept on going, or this kept on getting postponed like over and over again because Peter kept on faking heart attacks, which we have now known for him to do because he did it with his third yes. wife when he raped the teenage girls. The girl. He did it with Cheryl and he was doing it again. Um, during this time, like he went through a lot of, uh, he's getting analyzed by like psychologists and stuff and uh-huh. they did deem him a psychopath. 
and uh, he was someone that like needed intense control and so he was using the heart attacks as a way to take control of the trial because he was trying to push it off as long as he could to try to like flip everything and then also look like a poor sick old man Uh like harvey weinstein where he just has the The walker all of a sudden it's just like fuck off yeah like okay you fucking asshole bitch and and the, the lawyer was like he can't go to jail because he's in he's so old and he might die we're like We'll fucking die, bitch. Yeah, okay, then go to jail and die in jail. Then go to jail and die. (laughs) So, finally, after a long time, the trial for Dynamic Nickel started, and uh, it took about a year, like, the whole trial to actually, like, happen, for, like, the first hearing to happen all the way up until, like, the sentencing. Mm -hmm. Um, One, it actually came time, like, for the trial where they, where then the jury, like, goes back to see if they're, like, guilty or whatever. It only took the jury, like, 15 minutes. So even though it took a whole year of, like, you know, him pretending to have heart attacks and, like, trials being postponed and this and that, the jury was like, you're a fuckhead, you're guilty. You're guilty. And another life sentence was added. Nice. So in total, Peter officially raped and killed three women. And then he also raped two underage girls and also abused, raped, and tortured and manipulated um, three wives, for sure, and multiple other girlfriends. He's a bad guy. Operation Anagram continued looking into Peter's life and found another seven disappearances and murders that they suspect him um, of doing. Now... They suspect these victims based off either Peter's location at the time or do you mm-hmm. remember how I talked about how there was tons of jewelry in his house when he was originally arrested for Angelica's murder? Um, some of that jewelry they found matched jewelry on pictures of some of the victims, things like that. So I'm going to just briefly go through some of those victims real quick. The first one, her name is um, Louise. Yeah. <laughs> I got to say Louis. <laughs> Louis. <laughs> Louise K. At the time of Louise's mer- disappearance in 1988, Tobin was living in Brighton, um, but was working as a hotel handyman 24 miles along the coast in Eastbourne, which was a mile from where she went missing. So, like, that one was location. Um, Jesse Earl, this 22-year-old art student's skeletal remains were found near a beachy head in 1989, nine years after she disappeared. Um, she was found with their hands bound with their bra and undergrowth. Um, mm. I couldn't find much more information on this and why they tied him to her, but I'm pretty sure it was um, location. Okay, next was Pamela Exal. Pamela went missing in August of 1974 from a campsite in Norfolk. Um, no trace of her has ever been found. Um, the reason why they connected her to Tobin was that there was pictures of her with the very unique jewelry on, mm-hmm. and some of that jewelry matched Tobin's possession. So did anybody, question, did anybody ever, like, do the, like, sanitary napkin for a period? So he, I'm, I forgot to mention this last episode. I'm glad it's you brought okay, that up. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, like, those three wives that he, like, raped and stuff. Um, I did mention this during the Bible, John. I just forgot to mention it again last episode. Uh-huh. Um, whenever his wives, like, were on his, their periods, like, that's when the torture and rape say, would get more intense. Yes, yeah. Now, with these specific murders, um, well, like, one, like, the two teenage girls, unknown if they're on their period, that information was not, like disclosed yeah that's fine and for the um two murder victims they found in his backyard 16 years after the fact they were murdered unknown that they're on their period yeah. i don't even know if they could tell at that point yeah i don't knows? know i'm yeah. like unknown but uh but i do know he was violent towards his wives and girlfriends all the time but specifically when they're on his, their periods okay. he was okay v- like extra which is violent a connection to bible john yeah which is a main connection to bible few, john yeah. 
Okay, the next person I'm going to talk about is Susan Long. On March 11th, 1970, um, around 5.15 in the morning, Susan's body was found by a milkman approximately a mile and a half away from a marketplace in this town that Peter lived in. Okay. She was uh, violently sexually assaulted and strangled, very similar to the other girls. And then finally, that leads us to the Bible John deaths, which are three more murders, which I talked about two episodes ago. I'm not even going to touch upon them because yeah. you can go listen to two episodes ago. Um, but there are a lot of similarities between these disappearances and like that connects them to Peter Tobin. However, without like real evidence, without a body, without confessions, like really pinning all of these speculated murders to Peter Tobin is virtually impossible. Um, Operation Anagram like is still active to this very day and they're continuously trying to pin him to more murders because they know he's responsible for more. more, In fact, Peter claims that his total is 48 and they only have him for what? Three murders. Yeah. Yeah. Officially, officially three. And they're speculating seven more, and then he's saying 48. 48. And he had, you know, 40-plus pieces of jewelry in his possession. Mm -hmm. So, like, that number could very well be be real, but unknown where those murders have taken place, unknown when. Like, the Bible John murders, those were all the way in the 60s. His first convicted murder wasn't even until the 90s. So that's a whole 30-year gap right there where – you know, dozen more murders well, could have yeah, happened. Yeah, with less like science to help. Yeah, stuff. exactly. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, Operation Anagram is still active to this very day. They have definitely slowed down. Like they don't have as much probably funding and is not not as many uh, task force agents on the team. But it is still active. So, if you have any tips or anything like that, um, just go ahead and Google like Operation Anagram contact information and things wow. like that, and go ahead and contact them. But that is Peter Tobin. Well, fuck him. Fuck him. Fuck that bitch. Pretty much. So anyways, Corey, how was your sex life? Uh, Sex life is good. Um, It's been a week. It's been over a week. It's been about a week since we talked. About a week. Um, What happened? A lot of... Uh, not not much, right? You just worked a bunch. Yeah, I just worked a bunch. I didn't do much this weekend. Just like at home, it's February, so I'm like, cool, I'm going to go to work, and then cool, I'm going to go home and like consume media yeah you know how we do <laughs> it's it's february that's pretty much february and the beginning of march we have but then at the end of march things get fun it's true we have three birthday. weeks away till Corey's birthday yeah huzzah yeah um so the guy in his name is carl that i've been talking about Woo! Him, he's fine carl's I'm gonna the go best visit him this weekend yes um and watch his dogs while he goes on a research uh trip and then hang out with him when he gets back yes um yeah that that's pretty much it nothing like crazy cool i'm trying to see if i saw like a really good movie um i saw oh i saw birds of prey mm. oh the harley quinn one yeah it's actually really fucking good is it um it I, actually really is i hated suicide squad so much oh i never so. i've never seen any of the dc films i've never seen wonder woman i've never seen oh, yeah. suicide squad you need I've to never go see wonder just woman a, just a, i've never seen oh i guess i saw aquaman aquaman was so like bad its own thing and so just stupid i was like whatever um this is good it's a well-made film i mean there's like obviously some like you know continuity issues and stuff like that of like how powerful are these people and stuff like that and just things happen because they need to for plot but it's okay because it's a fun super movie superhero movie but like they're trying they, they treat all the characters very real very well cool um things are done well they're shot well and interesting um and the characters are cool harley quinn's awesome what's her name um, margot robbie thank you margot robbie's fucking legit i would say personally though that um Ewan McGregor, 
like stole the show. Stole the show and his sidekick, who is the love interest from the Mindy Project. Oh, okay. Is something William or Christian. Something, I, don't I don't know his know. name. It's like I know very, who you're one of his about. first or last name is very, very, very like white boy normal. Yeah. Um, he's hot, and in this one, he's like super like alternative, Ooh. like nasty hot. Oh, it was just getting me going, and they're very <laughs> queer. And especially Ian McGregor, very, very queer performance. Ew. And they even came out before, probably for queer Fun. baiting, like publicity, they came out before the movie and were like, hey, like, yeah, I see them too as like date, as like they are into each other. They have a love interest. Ooh. And you can totally see it. It's very blatant, especially if you're queer, you can read into it easily. That's, that's um, I'm sure cool. straight people will catch on to it too. Um, but I wish they would have leaned into it more oh they didn't or do it appropriately enough. Huh. i think like literally they didn't do it enough they just like started committing but then like yeah there's like lingering commit. glances and like interactions that are a little queer like or somebody like the the scene will begin of like one of the characters walking in on their conversation or something like that and they're obviously like you know leaning in towards each oh. other and stuff like that um it's really hot though they're but they both look great just like ian mcgregor mm. literally doing anything is great so yeah yeah he's hot yeah he's hot he's hot and his hair is just the most beautiful hair in this entire world yeah i'm so excited for him to be obi-wan in the new obi-wan oh my tv God. show i just want to mm. i'm so <laughs> fucking excited I'm so excited yeah just like fight darth maul bitch yes okay done well my sex life uh this weekend was sad girl weekend it marked a year mm-hmm. since toulouse died yes. it's already been a year y'all so I was sad the whole weekend. That was pretty much that. But yesterday at like 1.30 in the morning, both Jordan and I couldn't sleep. Oh. So you know, we started making out, doing what you yeah. do. And then boom, crazy, awesome, ball slappy, 2 a.m. sex. 2 a.m. sex. Yes. Almost witching hour sex. Yeah. Almost. <laughs> he like almost uh, made me pregnant with a demon. But yes. Yeah, so we had, like, crazy ball slappy sex only 12 hours ago. It was awesome. Nice. And then I fell asleep oh, at 3 a.m. Oh. Woke up at 8. Aww. Oh. Barely slept. But it's been a good week. Just very busy with work. Yeah. Lots and lots and lots uh-huh. of working. Yeah, work. Yeah, nothing, like, crazy exciting. Yeah. I watched the movies and work. That's we do have a been. an announcement, though, that we forgot to make last week. What is our announcement? Corey is moving yeah i'm moving to idaho uh for the summer or like probably like for the next five to eight months um just to go work and then so we'll be apart but we're gonna still record yeah we're still gonna be doing the podcast all the time um we're just doing it far away <sighs> yeah Heartbreak. we're gonna figure out how you can do it where you can record it and it sounds like we're in the same room yeah so that's what we're gonna be working on but yeah Corey, we're still gonna see each other a bunch this summer as much yeah. as we can but my and heart is broken at least i mean like for the initial four months of summer at least once or twice i'll come down and we'll probably record like two episodes yeah to like at least have two episodes or three or four where we're like together yeah, yeah. so we'll try to do as best we can but yeah just letting you guys know that's happening so send yeah. Corey lots of good vibes so we can have a good move yes and uh summer this year is gonna suck but it's Aww. fine i'm fine i'll just make our sims pl- like hang out all the Aww. time you're like what are you doing i'm like nothing, nothing. <laughs> jordan's like hey can you stop playing sims yeah jordan's <laughs> like we'll call you he's like you need to come here immediately <laughs> channa is locked herself in the room she's, for two weeks she's with she she won't let go of simone if yeah she's playing sims she bought a golden retriever <laughs> please god come back <laughs> but that's our pretty much big arts are big yeah. announcement and that's our sex life. And lives. that's our sex life. That's where we're at right <laughs> and now. And that's our sex life. We'll have so much to talk about tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> Wait, we're recording tomorrow? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll yeah. have nothing to talk about tomorrow. Maybe we'll, today. Do, we'll do crazy shit tonight. Yeah, okay. Everyone go do a line of cocaine to see where the night takes. <sighs> right. I'm watching The Bachelor, so I can talk about that. <laughs> I'll talk about sex I had that I didn't talk about right now. Ooh. Ooh, So stay tuned. Yes. 
yes. <laughs> for a week. Well, our question for you guys it is... is... Oh, anyways. How's your sex life? <gasps> oh, bye, guys. Bye. See you next week. I'm always looking down to, like... <laughs>